The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns, and we tell them by the marketers who are building them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to hear about designing a better user experience for a smart lock system. Joining us is Andrew Sampson, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at Level Home Inc., which is the company redefining the smart home experience and maker of Level Lock Plus, the next generation smart lock that is more advanced than ever, integrated with Apple Home Keys. At Level, they take a unique approach. Rather than start where others have started, they start at square zero and design products that make smart invisible. All right. So far, Andrew and I talked about branding smart lock technology. And today we're going to talk about the diversification consumer tech product game. And I also want to hear more about uh, Andrew's background. We got the chief marketing officer at Level Homes Inc. on. Let's get into it. What's up, brother? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been uh, been awesome so far. Awesome, dude. All right. So I want to hear your background a little bit. And I haven't done as much probably LinkedIn stocking as I normally would do. So how did you how'd you get this gig? I mean, you're a young guy. You're in LA. We just talked about this. You got a baby coming on the way. Andrew really gets on. He's like, baby number two. Baby number yeah. two coming on the way. And he's like, hey, dude, at 30, 39, 38 weeks. Like, if I got to go, I got to go. If I got to drive some of the hospital. I'm like, hey, that's fine. We'll come back. We'll come back. So kind of fun. But uh, yeah, just I'd love to yeah, I haven't gotten the call yet. So we're good. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> Tell us about you. Like, how did you get this gig? Like, where'd you go to school? Like, I'd, I'd love to hear just kind of background on you a little bit. Yeah, sure. So my entire career has really been kind of rooted in a few different categories. But I would say the intersection for me is really health, wellness, lifestyle, culture, and sports. And you might be done thinking, well, how does that all translate to this role of working for a Silicon Valley-based tech startup? And I think if you if I look back on all of the moves that I've made, they've been very strategic in nature of kind of being able to build experience and build my overall kind of marketing tool belt, as I call it, to get a variety of different experiences across all the different parts of marketing. What started in the very beginning at some of the biggest companies in the world. So for undergrad, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I'm an athlete through and through. I was a place kicker on the football team there. Shout out to Penn Quakers, won two Ivy League championships when I was there. That was awesome. But you know, for me, having the opportunity to start earlier in my career in an iconic sports brand like Gatorade, part of PepsiCo, was a true dream job. And that's where I began my career right after, right out of undergrad. You know, when I was at Gatorade, I was doing a variety of things from retail activation to sports marketing to you know consumer engagement and. Also, when I was there, I had this opportunity to not only just learn what it takes to be a really good marketer at an iconic CPG brand like Pepsi, but also to be surrounded by some of the 
best and brightest marketing minds on the planet that have ultimately shaped who I am today as a marketer during like my very formative early years of my career. So that I think has really st- stuck with me as, as a huge kind of benefit of working in a place like Gatorade early on. And then for me, the only other dream job besides Gatorade at the time was to work for Nike. And after Gatorade, I moved out to Beaverton, Oregon, uh, lived in downtown Portland and worked for Nike for two and a half years doing digital marketing at Nike. So this is, you know, 2015 to 2017. But obviously, if you're in digital and at Nike, you're doing some pretty cutting edge stuff. And we were. So there I helped launch the Nike app, Nike Plus membership, all things digital for the sport categories that I worked on, football, soccer, baseball, and lacrosse. And then got married in Portland, got sick of the rain. And my wife and I were like, let's move to Los Angeles. Um, so we escaped to LA to the sunshine. I then worked for Fox Sports for a little while. And this now this is more media and also brand partnerships. And then I was recruited to be Ticketmaster's first ever VP of brand marketing. Again, that is almost like a oxymoron, Ticketmaster and brand, because you know, sometimes Ticketmaster is the most hated brand on the planet. Shout out to any Taylor Swift fans that are listening now. But Yeah, we were making tremendous strides, really trying to bring out this emotive piece to going to a live event, really trying to reinforce that it's not just about the fees that Ticketmaster charges, but this lifelong experience and this emotive experience that you have of going to a concert or a sporting event. And then COVID happens. And my wife at the time was six months pregnant with our first, really allowed me to kind of reevaluate what I was looking for out of my career, knowing that I had been at all these iconic brands to date. And I wrote down this list of criteria that I was looking for. And a lot of that um, kind of pointed me to being somewhere smaller than I had ever been. And this company that kept coming to mind for me that met all of my criteria was Hyperice. Not sure if you're familiar with, with Hyperice, uh, Scott. Great company. Yeah, you got, your Arizo- you got your Arizona State wrestling shirt on. So maybe you're, you look like you're an athlete. Maybe you're a former athlete. Yeah, I'm a, wa- I'm a wannabe athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, former college. Hey, weekend weekend warrior, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, Hyperice, you know, maker of uh, health and wellness products to help uh, washed up athletes like the two of us maybe not feel so sore in their everyday. Absolutely, Hyperice, you know, unicorn company. You know, one of my good buddies, Patrick Peterson. You know, who played here for the Cardinals, a golf buddy of mine, invested in my companies. Love what Hyper. I have a lot of close buddies at that company. I love what they're doing. We talk about a brand that had to. D- differentiate. I, I go to CES and there's like 40 hyperices, the exact same thing, and they were able to actually build a brand. So kudos to that freaking brand. They crushed it. Yeah. So I came in to um, lead their marketing efforts and be their first ever VP of marketing. Um, and that was really like this transformative experience for me career-wise, because it was truly a culmination of every single thing that I had done in my career was embodied in that role at Hyperice. And when I was there, we we're named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies in the world. We completely relaunched the brand. We transitioned the brand from just being seen as a brand for elite athletes to actually what we call the high-performance wellness brand to be a brand that can be for all, um, no matter if you're it's to ail, uh, for a physical ailment that you may have because you're sore from a run or the whole mental health aspect, which you know really became an important topic of conversation and is, continues to remain a, a critical component of conversation you know, today, but especially during COVID. And like I said, that was an outstanding place to be for me. And then I just got randomly got a call from actually uh, a a former uh, recruiter who actually placed me in my role when I was at Ticketmaster and said, how much do you think about smart locks? And my very candid answer was not at all. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. again, I started thinking about that. I was like, why am I not thinking about this? And 
I talked to John Martin, Level Home CEO, and we hit it off and talked to Ken Goto, you know, our other co-founder and chief technology officer, and we hit it off. And I really decided to take a leap of faith and kind of get away from something that I was super familiar with, sports, health, wellness, lifestyle, culture, tech, again, Hyperice being the culmination of all of those things, and really move to consumer electronics and consumer tech at a Silicon Valley-based startup and really is more proof for me that, hey, you know what? I can do this elsewhere. I know that I have the skills that I can bring to the table. I know what I can offer as marketing executive based on all the places I've been and the experiences that I've gained and learned. And I'm going to take a bet on me. And that was the bet coming to level. And, you know, there's no looking back now. So, I mean, we've, we've again, seen tremendous success thus far. We're continuing to build out our team, build out our capabilities, build out our offering, position ourselves as a really le- real leader in this space. And it's been, uh, again, another transformative uh, element of, of my career kind of stepping into this role. And I've been super, super excited about it. What do you attribute most to the success you've had as a marketer? I mean, really, I think it's the people and the people that I've been around. And I feel like that's such a cop-out of an answer. And it's, and it's sometimes such a cliche, but I really believe it because if it wasn't for the mentors that I've had, the people I sat next to, the people that were on my team that pushed me to think differently, the leaders that I reported to, I wouldn't be here because every single place that I've gone, I've taken an element, not just of the company, but of the people from those places that have shaped me into, into who I am. And so I think that's really been the piece for me that I think has been so impactful. And of course, working at a place like Gatorade early in your career and a place like Nike early in your career really just shapes. And I, I know how fortunate I am to have had both of those places on my resume, regardless of where they were in my career, but especially in those early years to shape who I am has, I think, just kind of catapulted me into where I am now and very fortunate to continue to have a lot of those mentors and those people around me to advise me. I call it my personal board of directors. I think it's super important that everybody has that. Agency question. From just hearing your work experience, my guess is you've worked with RGA, Wyden Kennedy, and Shia Day, right? Or maybe not Shia at Gatorade anymore, maybe not Gatorade, right? Shia at Gatorade, RGA at both Nike and at Hyperice. Wyden, never directly, always adjacent, but you know we had other individuals on our teams who are working on all the amazing Wyden things that Wyden does for Nike. So who's your favorite of those three and why? Ooh, that's that. You really put me on the spot here. Um, well, you know, yeah, I'm, diff- I'm not quickie, but I mean, you got to work with great agents. I mean, RGA, I have a ton of friends. RGA, the work they did on the Nike app that you were involved in, that's freaking badass. For all different reasons and for all a variety of projects. I mean, I think if you're looking for a lot of the the balance of brand and digital and technical infrastructure and getting things off the ground, I mean, RGA is such a solid bet for that. Obviously, things that really push the envelope in terms of creativity, of course, wide and iconic. But again, I didn't work as closely with them, so I can't speak as uh, authentically to that. But of course, with Chiat, they were lead on Gatorade, you know, for so long, and you know, I worked very closely with them on global campaigns for you know global soccer superstars like Lionel Messi and all these guys. I mean, it was just you know, again, the ability to do those things with world class agencies and work with world class people. You know, very lucky for that. And yeah, you, I can't say enough about you know all those agencies and the work they've did in some way, shape, or form. What makes a good client agency relationship? I think it's it's a lot of trust. I think is one, and I think uh, a real clear understanding of expectations is another. Mm-hmm. And I think the ability to push each other to get outside of each other's comfort zone. And usually I think some people would say that agencies often push the client to get outside of their comfort zone. 
But I've often found a lot of the success comes when the client actually pushes the agency to get out of their comfort zone. And how that takes shape, maybe that means deeper understanding of X, Y, and Z, or to really understand the roots of the business or what's driving key decisions, or to really push around ideas or bright spots that might just be overlooked because they're part of a bigger process, especially when you're working with a, a big agency and they kind of have their their ways. So yeah, I think I think that would probably be my my best summary. But again, it really depends on what the brief is, what the brand is, what the product is. I mean, it, it differs so much, as you know. So I think in summary, those are probably, you know, my biggest takeaways. I don't know why I'm, I'm t- sometimes I, I like to not prepare a lot and I just want to see where things go. And this is a great example of like I think the more I can do that, I think the more value we can provide to our audience where I'm kind of listening and thinking about what question I want to ask. And I feel like they would want to ask the same thing. So like, you know, you've been to so many places and understand the game at a level that I think people are going to be listening. The question I want to ask is, okay, you're, you're newly appointed. <laughs> I'm making up a, a hypothetical. You're a newly appointed CEO and you got to hire a CMO. And your choice of the two candidates, one is good at digital, understands performance marketing, understands digital, but is a great brand marketer. And the other one's a pretty good brand marketer, but less experienced brand marketing, but is a, is a phenomenal digital marketer. Who are you going to hire out of those two candidates? That's a really tough question. Again, <laughs> I mean, my, my, my cop-out answer would be, it depends on the brand, depends on the category, depends on the space, depends on the funding, depends on so many different things. For but sure. I, I mean... You need both, right? I mean... You need both. I don't think you can be a one-trick pony when it comes to that. I do find that there is a ton of value in having a deep understanding of digital. But at the same time, performance can't just be performance because if you forget about brand, then you have no lifeline and you have no real differentiator. And I think you see that with companies like an Airbnb now divesting from performance and only focusing on brand or other companies that went so heavy on performance, they're trying to go back or some brands that don't do any performance are realizing that there's all of these up and coming brands that have a lot of funding who are eating their lunch because they're moving on whatever on TikTok way faster, whatever it might be. But again, I think that the best, a future proofed marketer is someone who's going to have deep knowledge of brand and performance and how performance drives brand and brand drives performance. And I think that that is a shift from where we probably have been the last few years where it has been so performance heavy. And that was a shift from three, four years before that, where it was so brand heavy, where no one was really thinking about performance yet. And now I think the scale is starting to really even out a little bit more. So again, my cop-out answer, it depends on a lot of factors. I think that digital expertise is critically important and you have to have at least a fundamental understanding or at the very least, no people and partners you can build around you that can make you that much sharper when it comes to performance. If you are lacking for that as a, as a skill in your own kind of individual skill set and attribute that you possess. Balance is key. Balance is key. And I, I think that my career is representative of that balance. And again, I've been really fortunate to work with partners and be surrounded by people that make up for my blind spots. And what I am definitely humble enough to do is to know that those are my blind spots and then to dig and ask questions and understand and learn more. And I think that continued learning and evolution is also critically important for anyone that's not just in a CMO role, but in any role to be successful. I love what you said there. And I think 
I think the big struggle and opportunity for us as marketers is the blind spot arena and having the right people around you that call you out on your bullshit and that are empowered to call you out on potentially some blind spots that you have and that can be okay filling in some of those gaps. I think at times where I've worked with people or I've been in my own head where I weren't aware of the blind spots that I am now, I couldn't agree more with what you said. And the other thing is just the balance. Of, I've said this quote, I'm going to keep saying it because it's because Mike Linton, CMO at you know, a thousand different places, Best Buy and Farmers and Ancestry and eBay and all the shit, you know, build brand over time, build sales overnight, right? Like you need to have the understanding of performance marketing, getting shit done, being in the weeds, perfecting the performance side of the business, testing, optimizing, selling, 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 but also building the brand. So I, I love what you said there. Let's get back to the level though. I, I do want to like, where's the brand going? Any sort of metrics that we'd understand? I mean, you're sold everywhere. Like, what's the growth cycle for this brand look like? Maybe just help us understand like what the opportunity is and where it's going and how we're going to see it. You're going to build the sucker. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're, we're really fortunate. And even before I came in to have a lot of great foundation in place, like I said, you know, you can find our products direct. You can find us at Apple. We're at uh, Amazon. We are in Best Buy. We are now in Lowe's. We're in a lot of the places where consumers are going not just to buy technology, but also to buy products for the home. So that foundation is there. Right now, we have been focused on smart locks as kind of the lead kind of product that has allowed us to really be more narrowly focused. But I think we will continue to expand our offering as we go. There's a few different varieties of locks that we have. Retrofit solution, I talked about it previously, but our level bull product all the way up to all-in-one flagship level lock plus, the one with Apple Home Keys that allows you to get in with your iPhone. And then a few others kind of in between that, you know, hit some of the middle ground that maybe don't necessarily have uh, the variety of features, but still maintain that same design aesthetic that we're known for. But I think the the opportunity for us is, is there's a lot of really exciting things that are happening within the smart home space more broadly. Matter is something that is happening. I don't know how familiar you are at all with Matter, Scott, but Matter is basically going to allow the likes of the Apple user, the, the Amazon Alexa user, the, the Hey Google user to all come together on a single platform to allow them to manage your smart home through a singular source versus having to go to this app over here and this app over here and this app over here and this app over here. What's awesome about Level Products today is that all of our products are ready for Matter when it does come. And so I think us continuing to innovate around how we are going to fit into a broader smart home, how we're going to continue to add features and new exciting things like the future of Apple Home Keys and what that means for an Apple user, other things we have coming out down the road for the totality of users, how we continue to think about access into the home is something that we're also really focused on. But there's a lot of just things that are happening in this space, I don't think people really understand or know yet, but a lot of it is going to get a lot easier because it seems daunting and difficult right now. But I think we're trying to make it easier, obviously, through our design. But I think broader technology is starting to reach kind of a point where, you know, the smart home is going to be much more convenient. And we're, I think, really helping to, you know, lead the charge as it relates to entry and access for the smart home of the future. Do you know how many Apple users there are in the U.S.? I think there's like 100 million plus iPhone users. Yeah, that's what um, that's if, 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 if it's iPhone specifically, that's one thing. If it's people who are using Apple Home and HomeKit or who use have an Apple HomePod or an Apple TV, yeah. that I'm not sure. But I think it's 100 million plus iPhone users, something like that. Wow, that's crazy. So how are the, whatever, the five sisters going to allow this other company to 
integrate everybody. That surprises me, especially if someone's been... They've all come together and they've all shook hands and said, you know, hey, we're going to do this. And so there's a lot of companies out there that have also signed up to that. It's kind of been this major effort really put on by Apple, Amazon, and Google to be able to do that and to have this level of consolidation within the home through Matter. I mean, I think it's going to be a huge value add for, for customers because, again... M-A-T-T-E-R, Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that's yeah. the future is matter all being. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So right now, you know, if you have your speaker and then you got your, you know, smart baby monitor like I have, and yeah. then you got you know, your, so door, no, door, yeah, your, your, your doorbell cameras here and then your level locks here to kind of house that in one place and to make it really yeah. easy, I think is kind of the, the next evolution of the smart home. And again, knowing that our products are ready for that, we're going to continue to innovate, add additional features, you know, new finishes, new kind of offerings, you know, I think we're, we're going to be well poised to, you know, not only just kind of continue down our current path, but really to take a leadership position in a category that really doesn't have a leader right now. And I think that's what, something that, you know, in talking about my career has really been interesting for me coming into this role, because there is a lot of competition that's out there in the smart lock space. If you go to Amazon right now and type in smart lock, you're going to see a bunch of stuff. You are. But there's really no one who's kind of taking that position to really own the category and define what the category really is. A lot of preconceived notions about smart lock. So yeah, they have to have a keypad on them. They have to have Wi-Fi. They have to have all these things. No, they don't. And I think that's where Level really has this point of differentiation. So it's very much a challenger mindset, somewhat guerrilla in our tactics. And I think really an ultimate task of changing people's perception around what this category is, because we know that there's about 80% awareness of smart locks, but only about 10 to 12% adoption, huge opportunity. Um, And millions and millions of people, again, to use our favorite term from before with dumb deadbolts on their doors. We now need to really get people enlightened and understand why this can really be such a value add for them and why when you think of a smart lock, level should be synonymous with that. And that's, you know, kind of our ultimate North Star goal. And then as we talk about, you know, kind of what our metrics are, there's a lot of really cool things that you can do in terms of layering and services to that. And we talk about LTV and, you know, if someone's not putting this on their door, there's a lot of now entry that's coming in and out. Level is, you know, has a very solid amount of funding. Walmart is actually an investor in Level. We have a partnership with Walmart around Walmart Plus in-home delivery, which allows you uh, a Walmart shopper to enter and, you know, seamlessly with the level lock that's on your door to deliver your groceries um, inside of your home. Obviously, everything is very secure and vetted and all of that. But again, the services piece, you know, with the dog walking companies, with locksmiths for installation, with all these other things is, is, is the, the potential is really limitless around access. Airbnb, vacation. I mean, that one is is so blatantly obvious. Even new builds too, um, like building it straight with with it. I mean, I can't even imagine this. Yeah, I mean, in and many are, ways, are like the, more SaaS company. Would you say, like, are you is your ultimate goal to build users? Well, we actually also have, you know, we haven't even touched on it because, you know, most of my remit, at least to date, has really been around our consumer business. We actually have a completely separate, recently acquired multifamily business. So multifamily, what that means is building owners, developers, et cetera, you know, building the new apartment complex in said town that now there's an expectation from consumers that it's going to be integrated with all this smart technology. Who does that? How does that happen? Well, we can actually now and through our acquisition, you know, of a company called Duello, which is, you know, now being integrated onto the Level brand, integrating all of the various things that make an apartment smart. Kind of this curb to couch mentality from entry point at the curb to all the way when that user, that, you know, person who's living in the apartment is 
getting their Wi-Fi ready to watch Netflix at night. And, you know, there's a package that gets delivered and they get pinged that, hey, that package is not ready for you in the package room. You know, we're working on things there too. So huge opportunities on both multifamily and for the single family home um, that we're working through. Uh, back on the consumer side, just really quick, I've had a lot of conversation around retail really making a comeback and especially D2C brands, you know, solidifying themselves in more retail operations. You know, Blue Nile is one example, others. Are you seeing uh, the resurgence of retail as, and is retail as strong or stronger than D2C when it comes to your brand? D2C is definitely our strength, for sure. I think retail has its pros and cons for sure. I think what's unique about our category is, again, there's not really like the deep awareness of the category yet and a lot of education that really needs to happen to get someone to purchase. There's a a ton of, of research that's done to figure out what platform is it compatible with? What's the battery life like? Was it going to even fit on my door? Which finish do I want? All of these things that go into this, which... The, at retail to be able to kind of capture that attention in physical doors on shelf, be able to kind of get that customer to really understand and then be able to turn is challenging for a high lift product like ours. It's not like, oh yeah, you just go buy a speaker, you go home and you plug it in. You're, we're actually asking you to inst- uninstall what's there on your door right now and install this thing. So we can tell a better story on direct. We can tell a more complete story. We can drive deeper education, which is I think why we've seen a lot of success from our direct business. But there still is an enormous halo effect of being in these retail doors. We've seen a ton of success at Apple. Um, obviously, a Best Buy consumer is very different than a Lowe's consumer. But you know, we're still trying to, I think, figure out our placement, kind of where we sit. But yeah, we're bullish on, I think, the opportunities that are there. But you know, direct, I think, will continue to be something that we further invest in and remain a strength for us, as would some, a channel like Amazon. Okay. And we, I'm way over on my little individual, but I know we still have a tiny bit of time in our little hour block. I guess I should probably get back to the original point of the product diversification <laughs> kind of went off in our own little world, which is fine podcast, but help us understand product diversification. I got to be honest, this is where I struggle. I don't understand it. I come from a very simple mindset of marketing and, and maybe old school marketing training where it's like one badass product and one badass product fucking benefit that goes to that product and then maybe surround it with a few others. And I'm in a company now, we have six products right off the bat, it scares the shit out of me. Just what's your viewpoint on product diversification? Like, is it part of the life cycle of a business? Is it okay as long as you have investment and budget and focus on each individual ones and the team? I just love a whole download on product diversification because I know it's a hot topic, especially for those entrepreneurs and startups out there or those marketers that are working for a startup who are having, you know, product diversification battles. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, if you look at our portfolio, I mean, it is around a singular product. It's a smart lock, right? In a few different flavors and, you know, a few different pieces that are out there. So, you know, we haven't gone into the diversification route of, yeah, we have locks and we have this product and we have the speaker and we have a doorbell and we have the camera and we have blah, blah, blah. You know, we are very focused on the smart lock now. And I think that has allowed us to be more narrow within our approach. But then if you look at our total portfolio, there still are four main products and then accessories. I think we've also seen as we've introduced new products, like most recently our Level Lock Plus product, the one with Apple Home Keys, you know, that has really taken off. And that has come at the expense of other products, of being able to leverage dollars to support those or figuring out how we kind of balance our message of who the product is for, why they would need it, and why potentially you choose one or the other, depending on what it is that you're ultimately looking for. My thing as a marketer, you know, historically has always been make the thing the thing. And I think right now, what we're seeing with Level Lock Plus is that can be the thing for us. 
But at the same time, we don't want to dilute the other products that are there. We're not diluting them. In many ways, our other products, you know, and our, our kind of the step down from Level Lock Plus is called Level Lock Touch. That actually has many of the same features. It has all the same features as Level Lock Plus, just minus the home keys feature. So if you're an Android user, that is an outstanding product for you. Outstanding product. And so now we're actually trying to figure out how do we speak more to a non-iPhone audience and kind of steer them down a different path around a various product in our portfolio. Or if, you know, maybe you don't need an all-in-one solution, you really want to keep your keys. We got that retrofit level bolt for you that just changes the inside. So I think for us, diversification has been an evolution. We've introduced things. We then have tested it. We're trying to figure out how to message some pieces. And now I think we're continuing to get sharper in what is our ideal product portfolio and how do we best target various products to different audiences to make sure that those resonate depending on what the features are, what that person's needs are as they think about their opportunity within this product category. So as we go further, could there be other things that come out and we continue to diversify? Sure. But in my eyes, for marketers or, or for you know, those at other startups who you know, are kind of questioning this, this right now, if you got a thing, make that thing the thing and celebrate the hell out of that. Because that's really, I think, how you win. And it allows you and teams to get more narrow on really tightening that message, which ultimately can make the entire thing much sharper. There seems to me to be a belief in the tech business from what I've seen with clients over the years that the more products you have, the more credible you are as a company. But I don't really feel that is a consumer insight. I feel like that might be some sort of maybe industry insight or something But I don't feel a consumer thinks that, that they're like, if you have three or four products, then you're more credible than if you have one great product. I I would agree with that. I mean, even just taking off my, you know, putting on my just true consumer hat for a second, you know, as someone who is a consumer of products and brands and marketing all the time, I live and breathe that. I would rather there be a company that does one thing really well and like really, really well than four, five, six, 10 things just okay. A hundred percent. I agree. Because I think when you look at the totality of then that company's business, you then get into, you know, other areas that then you'll find gaps, like maybe whether it's the product or support or other blind spots now that like, you know, come up, being able to narrow, narrowly focus and kind of have, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the goal may be around that particular product, I think can actually help you. And if the thing is the thing, then the brand could be the thing. And there could be other products that also deliver on that same thing where you're not splitting budgets and going individual product by product. That to me seems like a freaking headache. Yeah. And that's why I think for us, it's been a really calculated approach where, yeah, could we go and design uh, a better speaker? Could we go and design a better X, Y, or Z? Sure. But there's runway with the smart lock category. There is a lot of white space. There's momentum here. Yes, we have different pieces of our overall kind of portfolio that do different things or are at different price points or speak to different consumers. But allowing us to narrowly focus on smart locks and live and breathe that category every day, I think has um, has helped us kind of get to where we are and also pave a path for where we're going. I love it, dude. Dude, Andrew, thanks for coming on. I know I went all over the place and wanted to pick your brand in a number of different ways. I think it was super helpful. This was awesome. So yeah, you can you can find Andrew. We're going to put a, a link in his LinkedIn profile, uh, his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. So feel free to go there. But uh, big thanks uh, to Andrew Sampson, Chief Marketing Officer at Level Home Inc. I got to go get this damn lock now.
Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to the rebrandpod.com and we have all the summaries and episodes. And again, I, I say this kind of little thing during these episodes every time. So i um, sorry if I'm not super passionate about going through this script. So I'm going to try to get through it really quickly because it, it kind of annoys me, the same thing. But there's new listeners and I want to let them know like what the deal is, which is basically like, look, go to the website. We've got summaries. If you want to apply to be a speaker, please apply. We're looking at probably 10, 20 a week. And we want the best of the best on. So fill it out well and, and have a reason to be on. And we want to put you on. Especially want to look at the women in business, minority-owned business. Please apply. We want to make sure we have a lot of different diversity of guests and talents and expertise on the show. So, you know, if you do apply, you know, don't take it personally. It's like, look, hey, we just had a bunch of PR people on in the last, you know, month, a bunch of PR agencies. So probably good on PR agencies. Let's switch it up. So, but, you know, maybe we'll get back to you. So please apply. You don't have to be a PR person. You can apply direct. Um, you can find us on all the social channels. You can find me probably the easiest is just at Scott Harkey. Probably Instagram's the easiest or LinkedIn, but I'm on all the other shit. If you haven't subscribed and you want daily marketing in the feed, that's what I do with my favorite podcast. So hit that subscribe button. We're about 5,000 plus marketers uh, that subscribe. They're part of this community. So if you want to be part of that, doesn't mean you have to listen to everyone or you don't, you don't have to listen to the whole thing, but it's there. But until next time, I remember it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 